kind of from college football uh last week games but there was a lot of uh a lot of uh headlines being made uh coaching changes happening uh you know there's never a day of rest it seems in in the college football landscape or or a dull moment uh but wanted to obviously starting this week's episode off with some some disappointing and sad news losing one of the bigger larger-than-life characters in college football and Mike Leach. Um, those who really know football know that he was much more than just his character. Uh, the amount of influence that he's had on college football and, the, and coaching itself and his coaching tree is pretty pretty amazing. Um, do you ever have any chances to interact with him or meet him? Unfortunately, no. I mean, I, I I met him once at a at a coach's convention, and he was he was that guy when you go to the coach's convention that like he held court. You know what I mean? Like and, and like yeah. not like intentionally. Like he would just go to the bar and get a drink, and next thing you know, you have forty coaches around him, and he's just he's just you know going off about God knows what. Um, and and so I was fortunate enough to hear one of those. I, I introduced myself, but I never yeah. never had a real conversation with him. But he was he was truly like the most most authentic and genuine coach in America. Like he was who he was and there was no like coach speak, like in interviews, he was yeah. going to say whatever the fuck he wanted. Like he was just, he was that it, guy. It, it almost know? seemed like he talked about everything but football in all his interviews. And I right. think part of that was intentional right. because he just didn't want to give away a lot of his secrets, but what really made his offenses, his air raid offense so special and his kind of, approach to football so special because um, when you look at the guy's background, he played lacrosse. He didn't even play football. Yeah, right. he's, he's a lawyer. <laughs> like he, he had an infamous rant in an interview about if he didn't become a coach, what he was going to get into next. Cause he was a lawyer and he, he said he wanted to yeah. get into, I, I don't even, you know, I'm a football coach. I don't remember what the, the term is, but it was basically yeah. like liability law. And he went on like a 30, like a 10 minute rant about why he wanted yeah. to get into liability the liability business. It's just, but he, so the air raid offense is interesting. And I made a comment on my show the other day. I think it's the most impactful offensive system in the history of football. Because if you think about it, there's been two offenses that like changed football and they're, they're just so difficult to defend. And that is the air raid offense and option football, right? The option mm -hmm. of handing it or keeping it, right? That's something that if we didn't have that, football yeah. would look very different. I think the difference between the two is there is offenses that don't have option football. There's not an offense in the United States of America that doesn't have some air raid concept. Yeah. They have something that came from the air raid. And Mike Leach certainly is like a descendant of that from uh, Lavelle Edwards at BYU who really Hal created Mummy. it. Then Hal Mummy, who, Hal Mummy who, who Mike Leach obviously kind of rode his coattails, learned his system, and then expanded it. Um, the, the coaching tree is intense. I mean, intense from Lincoln Riley to Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's different. I mean, they throw the ball. I think my, so Mississippi, Mississippi State and Mike Leach led the country with 49 pass attempts a game. And that's their philosophy. Like, why run it? Why block all these guys when you can just throw a four yard pass yeah. and get four yards that way? Right. That's kind of their philosophy. And they, the, the cool thing that I think is kind of philosophically applicable to everything in life is their philosophy is it doesn't matter what you do. We're going to, Practice what we do so much and become experts at what we do that even when you think you have the edge schematically, yeah. you don't because we are so good at what we do. And it, it, it doesn't make sense, right? You, you watch a play on film and you're like, this is an awful concept against this coverage, but somehow they still have success because it's about mastery, right? They master what they do yeah. and so they have success. And it's what he's been able to do at Texas Tech, Washington State. And then even Mississippi State, it just it was 
phenomenal. Yeah, and what's very interesting about him is um, it seemed like the fact that he was no-nonsense and kept it real um, kept him from ever getting the opportunity. It seemed somewhat intentional, too, on his part of wanting to be like the David versus Goliath, but there were a couple situations um, across his career where the opportunity came up for him to get a big program job, but he never did. Was that simply because of how outspoken he was or the controversy at Texas Tech? What kept him with being such an innovator from a big-time program just taking a shot and saying, hey, this should be our guy? Well, I think it's it's a lot like um, you look at Georgia Tech and what they did with Paul Johnson, right? It's you have to you have to yeah. you have to go all in <laughs> if you're going to hire Mike Leach. It's like, oh man, we're really going to yeah. shift this program, huh? To that, that that direction. And on top of that, I mean, he is yeah. he was a character, right? He, he was he was not your coach speak politically yeah. correct coach. And then the, the the ridiculous whatever you want to call it um, situation at Texas Tech certainly didn't help, but but uh, I, the, the the story that that has kind of been told of recent was Tennessee offered him the job at Tennessee when he was at Washington State, and the athletic director they they fumbled the yeah. whole Greg Schiano debacle, and so they were in a scram- scrambling for a coach, and the athletic director flew out to Washington and offered him the head coaching job, and when he fa- when he returned, the chancellor of Tennessee found out and <laughs> fired him, fired the AD oh, for offering wow. the job to Mike Leach, and yeah, and th- I think my favorite part about all of it is. Josh you know, they hired um, Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt, who was a train wreck. I mean, set the program yeah. back five years. And then they went out and yeah. hired Josh Heupel, who was Mike Leach's quarterback yeah. and an air raid guy. It's like, wait a minute. You could have yeah. done this three years ago with the, the guru, but instead you got the disciple, which he, look what he did in year two. Like they could have fast forwarded this shit three years. The same thing happened in, in Arizona, right? You're like, why would you hire the B team when you can hire the A team, right? Like. You know, it, right. it doesn't. It's it's interesting, but it, it just goes to show you how much fear um, matters more, and being politically correct matters more than just hiring the right person for the job. Oftentimes, in these scenarios, it just seems like that's the story yep. of his career. We obviously lost a, a great character. I mean, you could just watch his interviews. Just. It's not even about football, <laughs> most of them, but it always, have, no, always. No, none of them. Almost none of them. I mean, my, my favorite one was this, just this year. And he's had some, yeah. I mean, golden rants. But when he talked about this year, about, he was talking about his players and yeah. how they didn't use their hands like they should, like in blocking. But yeah. <laughs> he didn't just say that. He was like, well, it's our obligation as a staff to make sure that future generations have hands because, you know, evolution will, will, will take effect. And if they don't use their hands, eventually they'll have no hands. They'll be like T-Rexes. And so it's our duty to three generations from now to teach them how to use their hands or else people in three generations won't have hands. It's just like, what? What did you just say? And the thing that it was, you'd expect somebody who's high on, on, on to, to say stuff like that. But he did this stuff completely sober. So right. it was... Uh, <laughs> it was definitely a character of college football lost lost a great and um it was it was important for us to kind of highlight him as a coach as well as as, as a character because it, it could have easily gotten lost the the fact of how innovative and how great of a coach he actually was not just as a not just a great character and it's showing in 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 the lincoln riley's the josh Eiples. if you look at tennessee's offense um this year that's that's what it was predicated on um so definitely rest in peace uh to coaching legend gone too soon um obviously that wasn't the only coaching news over the last couple of weeks um the biggest one of course which was one we 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 kind of anticipated happening was Deion sanders going to colorado it actually becoming official um Obviously, there was a there's some controversy around this kind of situation. Um, again, going back to going back to do coaches, you know, what are coaches' obligations with their word versus doing what's best for them? Um, the reality is is to become great at anything, you need resources, uh, and you need you need what you need. Um, but it was interesting. Do you think that he can really? make the turnaround of a program like Colorado and the Pac-12? 
Um, and do you think that they can come back to being college football elite quickly? Well, I don't know, but if anyone yeah. can do it, he can. Um, he's making moves that no one else could make. I mean, from his coaching staff hires to his recruiting prowess. I mean, we have a five-star receiver committed to Ohio State who probably isn't going to sign on signing day. And the sole reason is he, in an interview, said, well, Coach Prime hit me up and, and asked me not to sign so I can see yeah. what they're doing out there. Ohio State, like this is, never has Ohio State yeah. recruited against Colorado ever. And now they kind of are. And I, the kid's going to go to Ohio State, I believe. Yeah. But still, just it's reverberating through the recruiting circles, through everything. And, and he's, I mean, he's got the formula. And and I, I don't know why they made his first team meeting uh, public, but he, he's he's handling things the way he yeah. should. He said, I mean, he told the team, I'm coming to town. I'm bringing my luggage. And guess what? Yeah. It's fucking Louie. Yeah. My luggage is Louie. <laughs> I mean, and there's there's something to that. I think the people that that rubs the wrong way don't really understand the mentality it takes to be a great football player or a great coach. You kind of have to have that edge to you. You have to have that confidence looking across and saying, no, I'm actually better than you. And um, it seems, yeah. and obviously that's anybody who's followed Prime's career knows uh, that's who he is. But it is surprising to me that um, he had to go, somebody who has that level of expertise and understanding, is it similar to the Mike Leach situation where some of the bigger programs are scared away by this larger-than-life persona that's kind of edgy, that's different, that just doesn't follow the traditional rules? Is that why he had to settle on a job like Colorado. I mean, part of it, I think, is also motivation for him. He wants to, sh I think once he got snubbed for the Florida State job, I think he really, really wanted to show, like, I am a difference maker and I'm going to show you by doing it at Jackson State in Colorado. But it also seems like there was hesitation from other programs. Like, it would seem like a program like Cincinnati, a program like Wisconsin, Nebraska, he would be a true candidate for those positions, but it doesn't seem like he was ever a serious contender for any of those jobs. Yeah, I mean, it, <clears throat> clearly he was trying yeah. to get in on all of them, right? And and he he took one of the lower end jobs, so that just tells you. I mean, he he certainly would have taken Nebraska, or you know, he would have taken Georgia Tech. He would have taken any of those jobs because they're on paper yeah. better jobs in Colorado. Um, but he he was out there he was out there shopping. He was trying to trying to get a job. Um, because I think he knew, like you said, he had maximized his opportunity yeah. at Jackson State and he wanted to do bigger things. And I mean, he left Jackson State in a far better place yeah. than, than when he found it, right? Yeah. When he walked in the door. So I think he, he realized he kind of capped yeah. what he could do there. And so he, he was ready for bigger challenges. And I, I think the funniest thing that I read was like he turned his back on 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 HBCUs and and, and yeah. African-Americans. And it's like, I don't know if you know this, but like 90% of every yeah. team is black. Like if he goes to Colorado, he's still coaching yeah. a bunch of black kids. Like what do we, like he turned his back. It's not like he went to some fucking private school in, in Columbus yeah. with like all white kids. Like he still is impacting minorities in college football. And it, it, he's, he's going to do great things for, for everyone. And, he and coaches. the reality is if Jackson state could have given, would have given him the facilities if you really dig into it. Um, a lot of the things that he asked for, he was not getting. They didn't, they weren't prioritizing. So it's like, if if I'm trying to be the right. best football coach, I've got to go to a situation where I have the best opportunity to succeed. I can't be, I can't be doing my part and the rest of the facility. And this is no knock against Jackson State. They, he did great there. I mean, but it is in Jackson, Mississippi. It is not the easiest place to recruit. It is not the easiest town to live in. I don't know anyone. <laughs> I definitely am not going to go live in Jackson, Mississippi. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. Well, and you know what? I, I think I think I think there is something to be said about the mismanagement and, and and the poor leadership at Jackson State because I've never seen a Jackson State game yeah. on TV ever yeah. until this year. This year they were on primetime on ESPN, yeah. and that was Dion's doing, right? So the 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 influx of money they had yeah. certainly went up, and the fact that. The fact that Dion was having to pay out of his pocket for team deal, yeah. team meals because he didn't want them to eat garbage 
is like, wait a minute, timeout. He brought in all this money. Exactly. What, what are we doing with it? We're not, we're not rewarding the team. Why is, why is Deion Sanders paying out of pocket yeah. for a team dinner? Like it, it just, it, it was, it's, it's a shame because they really could have leveled up yeah. everything. And, and they, I don't know. I don't know what they did with the money, but they certainly yeah, didn't reinvest the it. Thing, the other thing is that Dion never publicly complained about it, didn't say anything. He made the best of what he no, did, never. what he could with the situation. So I don't really understand the criticism um, of right. him the, uh, at all. Um, and, you know, I think Colorado is, is going to be a dangerous team uh, moving forward. And we might be back to the Rashan Salam days of uh, of colorado football yeah cordell, cordell stewart man the, yes. the, the, the glory days yes and it'll be exciting to see and i think he's gonna he's gonna really shake up the pac-12 it was very a good opportunity in a conference that he could really make some noise in the other hire that was very surprising for us obviously um was luke fickle picking up his family and moving to Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, this is a guy who um, was very hesitant, had been approached by many, many teams before, was very hesitant to leave his backyard. Uh, it was hard enough to get him to go from Columbus to Cincinnati. Uh, and now he convinced his wife to uh, move the family to Wisconsin. Uh, kind of, what, what do you think played into it? What, it? what it seems like to me more than anything is very similar to the Dion situation where he did the most, the best that he could at Cincinnati. He saw, you know, the move to the Big 12 happening. They kind of regressed this year. Um, probably recruiting was getting tougher and tougher still, despite his ability as a recruiter. Um, but is the Wisconsin job truly, I mean, it's obviously a power five job, but is it the right stepping stone for him uh, as a coach? Yeah, I think it's I think it's perfect. Um, it, you know, I, I always said I, I never said he would go to Wisconsin because I didn't see that one coming. But um, you know, th- it was, his next level up was always going to be a Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, a Midwest, you know, B- Big Ten program per se um, that that had the resources to kind of yeah. compete nationally. And and I think Wisconsin is certainly in the right mindset where you look at programs like Wisconsin and Iowa, where they, they haven't spent the money on staffing. They haven't spent the money on recruiting. They have never yeah. really tried, in my eyes. They've never really tried to become a national team. And it looks like that's shifting, right? Not only did they go out and hire Luke Fickle, paid him a bunch of money, but then Luke goes and gets Phil Longo from North Carolina, yeah. who's a big name, offensive coordinator. I, I think they really are trying to push to remain relevant, essentially. I mean, you're bringing USC and UCLA into the conference, and I think Luke looked at it and said, wow, the Big Ten yeah. West is awful. Like, if, if I can level up Wisconsin even a little bit, yeah. we'll be in Indianapolis. And then, who knows what the yeah. ceiling is for that program. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's really what it comes down to is, is it looks like Wisconsin, um, despite not investing in the program, has always been a competitive football team. Now they're going to invest the resources. They have the money. Um, what does this all do, to, in your opinion, um, with the Big Ten landscape? Is the Big Ten, USC, UCLA coming in, you know, rule going to Nebraska, Fickle coming to Wisconsin, suddenly it looks like we have a much more competitive conference um, than we've ever had. Um, what do you think this does for the blue blood programs like Ohio State and Michigan, who traditionally control control this conference, do you think um, that the changes that have been made are enough uh, to create a shift in the competitive balance um, overall in the Big Ten? Well, I think Ohio State needs to be careful because they are they are mo- amongst the nationally elite, but they're a few moves away mm-hmm. from not being. And sometimes Ohio State has that mentality where they're like, "No, we are the Ohio State University." It's like, "Yeah, you are, but you still have to, you still yeah. have to like push the push the issues, right? You still have to fight to remain there." And I think um, this NIL world that we live in, Ohio State's fumbling in a major way right now. And if they don't pick the ball up soon, they're going to realize how fragile it is. This this industry and and being amongst the national elite 
Um, uh, the Big Ten's leveling up. The South, the Southeast is leveling up. The NIL has been so fruitful to the Southeast, and it's not been fruitful yeah. to Ohio State. And I mean, all the kind of media narratives around it is like, we are Ohio, Ohio State. It's like, yeah, now, yeah. right now you are, yeah. but you might not be. So you better push to remain the Ohio State University. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself like Notre Dame, nine and three, like no one respects you, can't win on a national landscape. That, that's what Ohio State could become if they don't push to remain who they are, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and the last, the last, the last coaching rumor is: uh, Do you think there's any 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 truth to the idea that Jim Harbaugh might go to the Colts? Uh, and and now that he has the leverage, he's proved like he's kind of at a high right now versus where he was yeah. at two three years ago. Do you think that's a reality, or do you think he's he's going to stay at Michigan? I mean, certainly reality, right? Like last year, he he was fighting to get yeah. an NFL job. I mean, not not like he wasn't getting courted. He yeah. was courting the NFL. So I think I think he wants back in the NFL. And whether he whether that comes to fruition or not, I don't know. But he he certainly still has that desire within him. So I I don't think that's far fetched at all. I think that he yeah he wants that. And any any at any point if 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 a suitor comes calling, yeah. he's gonna jump. Yeah. Um now transitioning to, to to some Ohio State stuff, let's let's talk about some of the things that have been making making headlines and, and we'll do a little fun thing at the end of at, at the end of all of this. Um and the thing that's kind of stood out in, in these kind of national awards um situations that has Ohio State fans in uproar is um Marvin Harrison not only not necessarily being a being a a prime candidate for the Blitnikoff but not receiving it I it's hard pressed for me to see any receiver that was more deserving than Marvin Harrison he essentially kept our our offensive float kept us within the top five what kind of goes into these decisions and why was he why do you think he was ultimately snubbed well, it's, uh, I think two things. One is Ohio State doesn't have a fucking clue how to market and, and, and create campaigns for, for athletes to win these awards. That's why Ohio State traditionally yeah. doesn't win them, right? I mean, think about it. The last Brian Day won Big Ten Coach of the Year uh, yeah. like two years ago, and that was the first Ohio State coach since my grandfather in the 80s. We're talking about Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer. They never won yeah. Big Ten Coach of the Year. And I mean, they... They should have been national coach of the year at, yeah. at, at some point because they were that good. Ohio State just doesn't know how to market their athletes, their coaches. They, they don't know how to win those awards. They just don't. And that's sports information. I mean, that's, you have a whole department. Their whole focus is to promote their athletes and, and, and handle the media narratives and all of that. And I think Ohio State's behind in that. <clears throat> and the other side of it is Marvin Harrison Jr. was – Certainly a bright spot for Ohio State's offense, but he wasn't as good a player yeah. as Jalen Hyatt. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't as good of a receiver. He didn't run as good of routes. The only thing he did better than Jalen Hyatt was he got yeah. covered more and in turn had to make a bunch yeah. of catches when he was covered. And he did that. He's yeah. phenomenal at it. But that's not the true test of a receiver, right? That is a, a small facet of their game. But these awards have always been stat awards. and. Jalen Hyatt beat Marv in yeah. every single stat. So it's like they always give these awards yeah. to the stat winner. And so there was there was no secret that Jalen Hyatt was going to win it because he had better numbers than yeah, everyone. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the reality is, is that the fans in these situations are always going to be upset because the truth is Ohio State fans didn't watch Jalen Hyatt the same way they watched Marvin Harrison. So they're not even really <laughs> right. evaluating it objectively. They're just like, our guy deserves to win. No. Um, yeah. They're like, oh, we yeah. love Marv. He's really good. He should win it. It's like, well, yeah. have you watched anyone yeah. else? Like, should he? <laughs> oh, man. And then, you know, obviously CJ got, got nominated for, for the Heisman. Nobody really thought he was going to win. He did not win. Um, Caleb Williams won, but quite frankly, even in that award, the Heisman's become a joke, obviously. Um, but mm -hmm. I really felt like, considering what 
the team needed to do to win that if if it wasn't just a stat-based award that Max Duggan was way more worthy from in terms of a most valuable player on a team that has no business being in the top four being in the top four you consistently saw with this team at every chance that they had to lose a game this kid would step up make plays get it done uh, when needed, which was the opposite of this other guy that they were hyping up at a smaller school named Will Levis. I just felt like he deserved a little bit more recognition in this award than he received. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the fact that TCU's in the college mm-hmm. football playoff, I mean, it's don't get me wrong, they have a decent defense, they have some skill, but that kid is a, he's no. not he's not a great quarterback, but he's just kind of, He's a he, he's a guy that mm-hmm. wills them to win, and there's something yeah. to be said about yeah. that, you know. Exactly. Well, I mean, what everyone is anticipating now is, you know, it's been the the, the wounds from the Michigan loss seem to have been healed a little bit, and you have to look forward. What's happening over over on uh, over in the Woody Hayes Center uh, over the last couple of weeks, preparing for, quite frankly, the biggest. Uh, test that Ohio State football probably has faced in a few years in, in terms of the Goliath um, that's over there in, in, in Georgia. But what does this, what needs to happen for this team to kind of right their wrongs and get to a point where they can truly compete? The talent level is obviously equal. It's balanced. But how does this team compete in this game against a team that's just dominating college football right now? Well, they got to play their best game, and 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 you know, in big games like this, you need your best players to have their best game. That's what you have to have to win, right? You, you rewind to 2014. We played Alabama, and our best players had to play their best game. Michael Thomas, Devin Smith, right? All the defensive stars we had, Ezekiel Elliott, like they had to play their best. And if they didn't, we we would have lost. Yeah. But they did, right? And so that's what they yeah. need this year. C.J. Stroud has to play his best game as a Buckeye. If he doesn't, they're going to lose, yeah. and they might lose by a lot. But if he does, yeah. they're going to win the football game. So that, that's what it comes down to. It's honestly the hardest game I've had to analyze since I started my podcast because you truly don't yeah. know who's going to show up. Like This Ohio State team is so talented that they can beat Georgia. But if they show up like they showed up against Michigan or even Northwestern or some of these games where they struggled, they're going to yeah. get boat raced. And it's like, man, I don't even know what to, this is not just evaluating two teams. This is, this is evaluating two teams within one. It's like, which Ohio state team is going to show up? I have no idea. And so it's going to come down to guys like CJ Stroud. Are they going to show up and play their best game as a Buckeye? Because this is the biggest stage. This is the brightest lights. This is when they have to level up. And if they don't, they're going to get killed. Yeah, they are. And, and that well, that's one of those things, like you, you were saying earlier, like a, another embarrassing national platform loss like that could start making some of these recruits like the five-star who Dion, Coach Prime, called say, you know what, maybe I am going to go to Colorado because these things do impact them because players are coming to Ohio State because they think they have the best opportunity to win a national championship while they're in college. Um, so it is It is important for us to be competitive in the game. Speaking of being competitive, um, the other thing that has kind of media and fans in uproar is um, JSN's decision to sit out this game. Um, essentially, you know, some people saying, well, um, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a weak move. He he essentially just used this year um to he he had no intention of playing this year after he got hurt. How much of this is really that this injury? Because how much of this is that this injury is really that bad? Because a hamstring injury uh, recovery process, even on the long end, is usually about eight weeks <laughs> for a kid that's twenty one years old. This is something that's going on throughout the season. How much of this was that? Because I honestly think, from my vantage point, I think. It must have something to do with the injury because, if anything, his draft stock has dropped a little bit because he has not played. And having an opportunity on a stage like that to have a standout performance against the best team in college football, I would assume that if the kid was healthy, 
that he would be playing in this game. And this isn't about about just his oh, draft stuff. Sure. Well, pe- people love to hate on players. They love to talk shit to, about yeah. players for some reason. Like this kid didn't make a decision not to play. Yeah. He can't play. Right? Like, and there's a big difference here. Like Bradley Roby made a decision not yeah. to play against Clemson because he saw Sammy Watkins and all those freaks. And he was like, I'm not sure if I'm 100% healthy. This can't help me at all. This is only going to hurt my draft stock. Yeah. I'm not going to play. Jackson Smith and Jigba yeah. cannot play. And all this hate and shit talking needs to be redirected at the medical staff at Ohio State, at Brian Hartline for the mismanagement. I mean, this kid tried to yep. play all year. He played against Toledo, Toledo of all teams, and was on a 15 snap snap count. That was, that was the threshold. Cannot go over 15 snaps. They played him 33 snaps yeah. and he re-injured it. Like this, is, this was a catastrophic mismanagement not by Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah. by everyone else. But now everyone wants to shit on Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's like, no, the kid wants to play in yeah. the worst way. And it's, it's unfortunate that fans get like that because this kid wants nothing yeah. more than to play. Yeah. And he just can't. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And, you know, the other injury news is Travion Henderson um, <laughs> opting for surgery. It was clear when you were watching him play that he has not been healthy all season either. Um, it seems like, you know, those are two big, high-profile players that Ohio State's not going to have in a big game. But I think it underlies, you know, the larger problem that where, where the focus needs to be is part of it is the turf, part of it is everything. But there have been more injuries, it seems like, this year at Ohio State than in any kind of previous years that I'm – recent years that I've seen on record, usually the, the, the medical yeah. staff, everybody – does well and and for whatever reason you don't see as many injuries in college football like this as you do at the NFL level but there's been just it's a, we it seems like we just have a platoon a mass unit of injuries uh this year how much of it do you think yeah. is related to the turf have there been changes in the medical staff at Ohio State recently um what is kind of the pulse on that um from your perspective I think I think there definitely is a conversation to be had about the turf. I mean, you look at the NFL, the NFLPA, they're 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 pushing for this new turf that that they believe has caused this this spike in injury. Um, and you you know when when there's smoke where there's smoke there's fire usually. So if the NFLPA is pushing that hard about it, and there is an increase in injuries in the NFL, there might be some truth to that. And and it's not coincidental that Ohio State just replaced their turf in the stadium yeah. and in the Woody Hayes to the same turf that the NFLPA yeah. is bitching about. So there's definitely some smoke there that I believe ha- there's some fire uh, associated with it. But the other problem is the Ohio State medical staff is like that old country club, right? Where it's like, oh, you can't become a member. There's yeah. a wait list, right? There, there's, there's tenure there. And it's, it's very unlike the South. When I, when I was at Florida, where there was team doctors, but if you screwed up, yeah. you got fired. And they found a new team doctor. At yeah. Ohio State, that doesn't happen. It's like this guy's been a team doctor for thirty years. He, you know, he he's friends with Woody Hayes, and you're yeah. like, what does that matter? Like, yeah. is he any good? It's just this. I don't. It's like it's like a, a college professor. It's like they're tenured. No, no, no. He's just he is the yeah. team doctor. He's untouchable. It's like why? Yeah. Why is he untouchable? Like the coach gets fired. Why yeah. can't the doctor get fired? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of interesting information, and I think more than anything, hopefully they replace everything. Ohio State has more than enough money to have a grass grass field in the horseshoe. We grew up watching football in a grass field. There's nothing better than a grass field, especially in Big Ten country when it gets cold and that mud starts starts flipping up when when guys are running. I think that I, I'm hoping that they do the right thing because at the end of the day, there's no better surface i don't care what they say about astroturf and how good it gets there's no better surface to play football on than natural grass um and anybody who's been if you've walked on a turf field you see that it's hard as hell underneath that it hurts a lot more when you get tackled on a turf um in a turf stadium than you do on a grass stadium in a grass stadium and and hopefully we, we get that return and and um, you know, maybe it's harder. Maybe they're going to turf just because it's it's harder to put all the uh, 
all the advertisements for all the sponsors on the natural grass. And I, I'm not sure why that change was right. even made at, at a place like Ohio State that's so rooted in tradition. Well, well, it's, it's easy, right? It's, it's yeah. maintenance-free. Once you put it in, you forget about it. You don't have to mow it. Yeah. You don't have to paint it. Yeah. You don't have to do anything. It is, it is yeah. the lazy root is what it is. And, and, and I mean, there's something to be said about the, the Midwest weather. I mean, you go down to Florida and at the University of Florida in the swamp, like there is a sense of pride from the field, whatever it's called, field yeah. maintenance department on that, that grass. Like they, they take great pride in it. It's like a golf course. Like they, that is their, yeah. their baby, right? Is that grass field. And in Ohio, I mean, we can blame the weather, I guess, but there's just not that ownership. It's like, no, no, no. We'll just put turf in and yeah. we don't have to worry about 100%. it. hundred percent. I mean, we'll see what happens, but I do think at the end of the day that, you know, Gene Smith and the administration, um, they usually are on top of these things. And hopefully if they're not going to make changes in the medical staff, we'll at least make changes to the field <laughs> that the players play on to make yeah. sure uh, they don't get hurt. Um, do you think, uh, that the hot seat that the media is creating for Ryan Day is actually a reality. Let's say it's not a friendly performance um, and we get blown out again um, like we did in 2021 on a national stage. Do you think there's any chance in hell that they're going to fire him? I don't think that that's going to happen. They're going to give him another year because overall the performance has been, <laughs> yeah, has been up to par. Yeah, I, I think it, this is following suit to how yeah. it goes normally, right? Like, lost to Michigan a second year. If they lose to Georgia, which they probably yeah. will, that will start the rumblings. Then the, ne the next year will happen. If he loses to Michigan again, that's when they, they flip that switch yeah. and that seat gets hot. Right now, his seat is not hot, but yeah. there's rumblings, right? It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of the, yeah. the cycle. Now there's rumblings. Next year, the seat gets hot, and the following year, he gets fired if he doesn't have success, or he can quiet the rumblings, or he can cool the seat off with a big win over Michigan or whatever it is. But, but right now, I think he's in the rumbling phase. Like There, there, there are rumblings amongst fans, mm -hmm. and that's it. There's no heat from the administration. He's not in jeopardy of losing his job, but he, yeah. he could be soon. <laughs> like He could be in the future if he doesn't you know, right the ship if he doesn't win yeah, that, I mean, win that I game. I think what we're dealing with, and I think there's an impatience when it comes to fans. Um, when we hired Brian Day, he had never had any head coaching experience. So there was a learning curve that I'm sure the administration kind of built in to him going from elite assistant to running a program like Ohio State. What I am seeing is a willingness. Last year was the defense a willingness to address and make changes when they're necessary. It seems like the biggest change this year could be, hey, just be that, like, if, if, if this does go, are you, what changes are you going to make, if any? The biggest one being hey, bring in an offensive play caller, focus on being a head coach. Uh, do you think that that's something that Ryan would consider, um, especially if his arm is twisted a little bit behind the scenes? And who would fill that seat for him? Um, is there anyone out there that would fill that seat that he would trust? Um, and and do you think that that could be something that could help the program as well? Um, I, I don't. I don't think there is. I think Ryan's going to die by the sword um, per se. Like if he if if it doesn't turn, he's going to die with the call okay. sheet in his hand. Um, because, and, and I've I obviously worked with him as an offensive coordinator. I don't know that there's a better play caller out there. I don't know that there's a guy that can do yeah. a better job than him. And he, I think he knows that. And so relinquishing control to someone who's not as good as him in his mind, yeah. certainly is not going to fix anything. <laughs> so, so I think, I think he's going to, you know, he'll, if he does fail at Ohio state, he'll fail okay. with the call sheet in his hand. Um, because he, he thinks in his mind, that is the best chance for success. Um, now he might relinquish some, some control in some, you know, small facet to a guy like Justin Fry in the run game or whatever it is. But I think, I think the reality is we're, we're at a pivotal point in his tenure because yep. CJ Stroud's leaving, right? He's gonna, he's gone. And so we'll find out if he was yeah. the issue or not. 
Maybe Ryan is the issue. But right now, I know this much. Ryan wasn't the issue yeah. with Justin Fields. Ryan wasn't the issue with Dwayne Haskins. So there's been one consistent over the last three quarterbacks, yeah. and that is Ryan Day. And they were massively successful pre-Justin Fields. So, or, I'm sorry, pre-CJ Stroud. So I'm not blaming CJ Stroud, but we're going to yeah. find out next year. Like, is it is Ryan the issue? Or maybe CJ was. We don't, we don't really know right now, but we'll find out. And, and how good is the quarterback room that we have currently? Obviously, we have the number one prospect coming in in the next, the next recruiting class. Um, but Kylie, Kyle McCord was a highly recruited prospect. Um, looks like a pretty good player. Um, is it his job to lose, or who else is in that quarter room, quarterback room that has a shot of taking taking the mantle from from CJ Stroud? Um, I think it's a complete unknown, really. Um, Kyle McCord is is was a five star, all everything, but Ryan hasn't really put him in games or hasn't really had him do anything, and so we don't know. It's a complete unknown. I I, I think the biggest question mark that we can't answer, even if the yeah. kid played and threw the ball around and you got to see him is who has those intangible qualities to be a great quarterback. And you don't really know that until they are the guy. So I don't know if Kyle McCord has it. I really like the kid, Devin Brown, who's, who's a freshman. Um, I think, I think if nothing else, he has that it, it factor. I don't know if he's as good of a thrower as CJ or Kyle, but from all reports, I think he has that dog in him. And they just, I just saw today as we're recording, they just flipped a quarterback commit from Washington to Ohio State today. So, and I, I don't think a true freshman is going to come in and win the job, but, but it, that's another, yeah. I guess, body that's going to be in the room uh, until, until the kid that you're talking about, the 20, what is it, 2023? Yeah. I don't, whatever class it is, until that, until yeah. that kid arrives. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of uh, intrigue as always around the Ohio State program, you know, and obviously like, People are down right now. They're hoping, hoping for the best. Uh, you know, the line, the line in the game has come out, um, and it doesn't seem like Vegas is giving us much of a shot either. Um, but usually, in these, these are the scenarios that I think um, Ohio State has always thrived in: is one where the underdog versus one where the favorite, even in the national championship games and college football playoff games. So you never know. Um, you know, uh, momentum is everything, and hopefully they can build some momentum on the practice field to go into the game because the momentum from the Michigan game obviously wasn't a strong one. But at this point in the season, I think um, it's good to have a little bit of fun and remind ourselves of why we are Ohio State fans and why we enjoy being fans of this program so much. And as we saw uh, interesting interesting uh, poll on reddit actually about who your top 10 ohio state players uh are uh and zach i'd be interested to hear yours and i'll and then i'll share mine i have a feeling there's going to be a lot of wide receivers Since when? What, what, what's, yeah what's the, the threshold, threshold should here be guys that you actually saw play all right deal um who man this is a tough one. Um, I think the best player I ever saw play at Ohio State was Chase Young. Um, you know, in my time, he 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 was the most dominant kind of. You saw him, and you're like, whoa! And Chase Young and the Bosa's are are one and one A, one B, one C. I mean, they just were so dominant, like unstoppable, like you couldn't avoid them from impacting the game. Um, and then you know, defensively, I think. Marshawn Lattimore was the best corner I saw at Ohio State in my time. Um, just absolute dog. I mean, you talk about dog mentality. Like he 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 was an unbelievable talent that played pissed off. Um, so he is certainly in the conversation. Malik Hooker in his one year was as dominant a safety as I've ever seen in college football. Granted, it was yeah. only for like five months, but good lord. I mean, his his ball skills, mm-hmm. everything, everything about him was was dominant. Um and then on offensively, I mean Zeke obviously was was the best running back. Not not only because of his ability with the ball, but 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 honestly, what he did without the ball is what separates him from J.K. Dobbins and mm-hmm. some of the great players that have played at Ohio State. Was Zeke the unselfishness and violence that he played with without the ball in his hands is unmatched. Yeah. I've never seen a running back do that ever. 
I've seen I've seen some great running backs play from Derrick Henry to you name it. Maybe they're better runners yeah. than Zeke. I don't know. But none of them could even touch or come close to how valuable he was yeah. without the ball in his hands. And th- that doesn't get talked about enough. So he's certainly probably number one offensively. Michael Thomas was as dominant a receiver as I've ever seen. Um, although he didn't have the stats because of kind of the style of offense and other, yeah. we had Zeke, the guy I just talked about, right? So, so he didn't get the stats. Maybe he could have, but he was as dominant receivers I've ever seen at Ohio State. And I don't know outside of that. Um, there's obviously other great ones. I'm trying to think of alignment. I'm Taylor Decker and Pat Elfliner too that just stand out in my mind as just absolutely yeah. great players up front. And, and, and a guy that I don't think gets enough credit is Jeff Hireman. Jeff Hireman was not Brock Bowers. He was not Aaron Hernandez. He was not like some freak show in the throw game, but he was a mismatch. And what he did in the run game, his ability to block defensive ends, Ohio State hasn't had a guy like him in the last 20 years. Nice. That's a, that's a good list. Field of guys, obviously, you are, you are going to have a bias toward guys that you actually interacted with consistently and, and, and coached. So uh, definitely a, a great list. Mine, mine comes more from a viewership perspective as well as some interactions. <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and a lot of it is, is DB and receiver. Uh, receiver based, but I have uh, one of my all-time favorites was was Antoine Winfield. Um, he is just oh, yeah. a dog at five eight. The guy is everything he did. He tackled like he was like a linebacker um, and had a great NFL career. But it was just great to watch him play. Um, another guy that I really enjoyed watching on the defensive side was Malcolm Jenkins. Like when you talk about a quarterback mm-hmm. of a defense, mm-hmm. that guy was a quarterback of a defense. Um, really enjoyed him. Um, I think it's hard for me with that same secondary um, that you're talking about, but I feel like I group all of those guys together. Marshawn Lattimore, Gary on Conley, Malik Hooker, Denzel Ward. When those guys were all on the field together, I just felt like, Ohio State had something that we'd never seen before in terms of the level of talent and the level of of care with the game. I just really enjoyed that entire group. And even the year before, I would group Von Bell into that group, even though he left a year before. Uh, the year before, I just really liked uh, all of those guys. Um, on uh, Orlando Pace is obviously on the list. Um, there, Ezekiel Elliott is there for me um, from a receiver perspective. I was always a huge fan of Terry Glenn. Uh, just we had not seen before that a guy that explosive. I mean, him and Joey Galloway kind of were similar talents, uh, but there was just something about Terry Glenn, his story of how he even got to got there um, that that was was just amazing. Um, the guy that probably a lot of people don't have on their list that I have on my list, Zach, if you remember him playing or not, I don't know. Damon Moore, uh, he was another hard hitting safety, mm. uh, that I thought was just amazing. Um, and then, um, I don't know how far down on the list, but I can't do the list without mentioning Troy Smith. Uh, I think he was mm-hmm. the most dynamic uh, quarterback that we've had in terms of the combination of heart and understanding of the culture at Ohio State. I just feel like it's disappointing how his career ended um, after the Heisman. But outside of that, you talked about a guy who understood what the culture was and represented it. I mean, I think he was the birth of of the quarterbacks that we have now. I don't think if we didn't have Troy Smith, I don't think that it would have led to that. And the final guy on my list would have to be Maurice Claret. Um, what that guy did in one year, it's very unfortunate what happened to his career. But I don't think we've seen a guy come in at, at that position as a freshman and be as totally dominant at every facet of the game. Very similar to Zeke, um, but he did it as a true freshman um, and carried yeah. that team to a national championship, regardless of how what else happened? I don't think we've had a guy that's been as impactful in my time as Maurice Claret. No, and, and, and 
If we're going back that far, the one guy that hasn't been mentioned that I think should be my, probably my favorite player to watch pre my career, right? When I was younger, before I got into coaching, yes. was Mike Doss. Mike Doss was a, oh my, he was an animal. I mean, he was so good. And I, I mean, it was my senior, my junior year of high school. And I mean, I, I, I you know, as a kid, I'm, I'm, I'm like cutting out articles about him and hanging it on my wall. Like, I want to play like this guy. Like, he was so dominant as a player. And Oftentimes, yeah. Forgotten. I mean, he's probably he's right there. And when the top, you know, you don't put him if you don't have him as the number one all time safety, you have him there. You know, you have him in that top three. Anywhere outside the top three, you're 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 losing your Ohio State fanhood with what that kid guy did did on <laughs> yeah. the field. I mean, I I know I know Mike well. I know you know him as well. Like the guy really really just wanted to hurt people. It was crazy. But right. it, it was like it was like it wasn't just like he was randomly. It was like he was always in the right position, always doing the right thing, talking about being quarterback of a defense. Like he was that. I mean, that really was what carried that team to a national championship. The heart of Mike Doss on the defensive side of the ball, and the heart of Maurice Claret uh, on the offensive side of the ball. One other guy that I think we both probably will say should be mentioned also just because of how dynamic he was, is Chris Gamble. This was a guy who was a oh legit God. shutdown DB, but could show up on the offensive side of the ball and the special teams. I don't think we've ever had a guy like that uh, at Ohio State since no. before or after him. No, I think he uh, – it's, it's, it's honestly a two-man conversation. It's Charles Woodson and, yeah. and Chris Gamble. I mean, those are two, two players that I can think of that – Truly, were shut down, locked down, explosive, dynamic yeah. on both sides of the yeah. ball. Yeah. So I hope Partha's satisfied with our lists. Uh, yeah, we we need to put it out there that Partha wouldn't wake up yeah. this morning to join us. Just we need to make sure yeah. that the public knows that Partha wanted to get his yeah. sleepy time. He, he wanted to get his duty rest. He said seven a.m. was too early. Do you think he would have survived during during a, during a two a day sack? <laughs> <laughs> no no he wouldn't have well hopefully he'd... we will look, we will make sure we schedule the next episode around yes, partha's we'll sleep sure schedule we do that we'll make sure to do that as <laughs> always zach this has been fun um we'll probably do a special preview show leading into into the game we're actually trying to coordinate with kind of a special high level georgia guest to bring on to to kind of have a panel uh zach so We'll see how that goes scheduling wise. Hopefully we can get it in and we'll have a nice, nice Georgia all house. Sounds great. Take care, man. Enjoy the new studio. Excited for it. Pilot boys